afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the show today. I want to call in the spirits, particularly the ancestors, those who bring that all that's good and true and beautiful to everyone who is listening today, to myself and to our guest, that we might be inspired by the ancestors to speak of a possible future in which we could all be truly manifesting the fullest and most beautiful dreams of our ancestors. I call out to the spirit of the earth, our deepest and great ancestor, and ask her to be a strong foundation below us, uh, today as we speak of the possibility for true and radical social transformation, not through revolution on earth, but through a revolution in the heart and revolution of spirit. We call out to the energy of the sky above to bring us protection and blessing and inspiration and generosity and benevolence in our work here today. And finally, I call out to the spirit of the heart and its unique capacity to merge for us the passions of the body with the clarity of the mind that we might each manifest our soul's true purpose in our lives. Welcome everyone this afternoon. We are speaking today about shamanism for activists, the alchemy of social change. And um, our guest today is Lenore Norgard. Lenore, thank you for being with us this afternoon. Thank you for inviting me. So I have invited Lenore um, not only because she is one of the... um, most respected shamanic practitioners practicing in our country today, but because she, in particular, part of her unique purpose um, as a practitioner is to is this work of social transformation. She's a leading innovator in applying shamanic approaches to social and planetary healing. She teaches shamanism for activists. And if you're an activist, if you know an activist, <laughs> Have them download this show and listen. And she also teaches shamanism for social healing. And for those of you out there that know how to journey but don't know what to do with it, download this show and listen and connect with Lenore and all the resources on her website because this is a path of healing that we can all engage in. Lenore also does shamanic um, training with um, shamanic healing in her apprenticeship program, and she's also working through the media right now creating... um, Uh, feature film. So she's busy, but primarily what I see in that ties the thread through all of Lenore's work, and we talk frequently about this, is the the desire to see us all truly engaged and empowered in the changes and transformations that we want to see in our lives, not just personally in terms of personal healing, but in healing collectively, healing our ancestors, which we talked about last week, and healing here as in the fabrics of the communities in which we live. So I'd like to hear Lenore first just tell us kind of how she got here. What are the milestones that got you to this place that you're in today? Thanks, Christina. I, as you know, I was born into a rather religious family, and The religion never really took with me, but I did take away from my family a value of social healing. My father was a Lutheran pastor, and he preached something called the social gospel. And what he meant by that was uh, applying the teachings, from his view, the teachings of Jesus 
to the world around us. So he was always very outspoken about things like uh, the civil rights movement. He was very pro-civil rights. He was very much opposed to the Vietnam War and things like that. So when I left home, I became a very ardent social activist involved in the secular realm of political organizing, everything from immediate things in my community to international concerns. And I became a Marxist. I was very much a materialist. And in that vein, for many, many years, very dedicated. And what happened for me was, uh, at a point 20-some years ago, I was in a space of deep personal depression coming out of from some trauma from my childhood. And during that period, I was visited by a spirit. And as I've told you, I had absolutely no framework for that in that time, being a kind of very material-based activist with no spiritual pursuit or framework in my life. And the spirit came to me and healed me from a clinical depression I'd suffered from for more than 20 years. So that totally transformed my life, and I was very grateful and uh, as I often like to say to people, I got spiritual. I had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you wanted to or not. <laughs> Having my life totally healed and transformed by this visit that continued to happen. Um, but one of the first thoughts that occurred to me, other than this tremendous gratitude for the healing of my life, was, oh, this is what's been missing from the political work. Mm-hmm. I said I'd been deeply involved in that for many, many years, and having experienced this miraculous healing, truly miraculous, uh, I thought, wow, what if we could bring this into all the social uh, transformation work that we've been trying to engage. And so ever since that day in 1987, I've been working with that question. And as you know, have applied the social, or sorry, the uh, shamanic approaches in many, many different realms in social healing. So I basically shifted from a paradigm of what I, at that time as a young person I would have called social revolution to one of social healing. I saw in that moment and that experience of unity with all that is that, in fact, we are all in this together. Mm-hmm. And so it collapsed my earlier paradigm of us and them, the good guys and the bad guys, um, into one of, oh, my goodness, we're all in this together, so now what do we do? So now what? Right. right. <laughs> okay, so you go off and you learn about shamanism, et cetera, et cetera. So what, what, what brings you then, you know, after years of shamanic training, into the kind of ritual work that you're doing now? Was there a, a moment where you began to put the pieces together? Was it gradual? I mean, what happened? How did you end up in D.C. on the lawn across from the White House? <laughs> well... It was both gradual and sudden. I mean, from the very beginning, I, I was working with things like healing our relationship with the spirit of darkness, uh, with the Dreaming the Dark ritual that you know of. Mm-hmm. Um, as a feminist and as somebody who'd studied a lot about language, I had always seen that how we demonized the dark and projected onto the dark everything bad we could possibly think of um, was a huge problem. Because we certainly wouldn't want to own that stuff. (laughs) Well, also, the dark is just the dark. It's not, I don't see it as a repository for what's bad. It's just a a physical phenomenon that we happen to project things onto. So uh, I've been working with collapsing that dichotomy and appreciating the power and the healing available to us from that realm for many, many years. 
Um, in terms of the demonstration in front of the, and the ritual in front of the White House, um, let's see, how can I bring that up? I, I went to the Network of Spiritual Progressives founding conference in Berkeley in 2005, which was called by Rabbi Michael Lerner. And at that conference, there were many, it was very predominantly Christian and Jewish with a smattering of other folks. And I just thought that what the conference was missing was really bringing the power of spirit into the social healing work. There was a lot of discussion about, uh, and really good work around, how do you apply, how do you bring the spiritual or religious values from these different uh, faith traditions into the political realm? How do you bring compassion into legislation? Things like that. What I didn't see happening was how do you bring spiritual power into the secular realm? How do you infuse the political realm with spiritual power and bring that spiritual power to bear for miraculous healing? That's what I'm about. (laughs) So um, we're going to be going to a break here pretty soon. So let's take the next few minutes before we get too much further in the show. Let's talk about what do you mean when you say ritual? Since to a lot of people, ritual either means, you know, my ritual for brushing my teeth, so it basically means habit, mm-hmm, right. or for others, it means the stuff that happens in church or whatever that feels empty to them now. So what do you mean when you say ritual? That's a great question. For me, ritual is a very alive space that's created with great intention by the group. It's a space where there's an intersection, there's an actual intersection created between the spirit realm and this physical material realm where our bodies are and bringing those into alignment with intention for a particular purpose. And that purpose, as we know, could range from um, ancestral healing to uh, peacemaking to uh, something very personal, a marriage ceremony even. But it's really bridging those two realms with intention to create harmony, to create wholeness, and to create, I'll say, sacred balance. Mm-hmm. And what was your sense? So let's just go back to the to the lawn across from the White House. What was your sense about how, how ritual bridged that at that time in that particular example? Just to pull one of many out of your hat. Well, the ritual we did across from the White House, the intention of that ritual was to heal the history of violence in the name of religion. So this was hosted by a conference, an interfaith conference of people from different religions. And uh, what Myra Nishowski, my colleague and I, who put together the ritual, was shown when we consulted the spirits, was that this was really the key for this group of people, was to really address healing the history of violence in the name of these different religions. And so what we asked people to do was to connect with their own source of spiritual power. Everybody has that. It really doesn't matter what their belief system is. Everybody has that. We asked people to bring that into the circle we created there on the lawn and to hold that and to bring that power in to create a field of resonance among the participants. So the principle was that by creating a field of harmonic resonance within the circle, that we then could emanate that out from that circle, not only to the White House, but around the world. 
And uh, did you have uh, stories that came in after that helped you see how that did indeed happen? Well, you know, the thing with ritual and all shamanic work is it's not something that can be uh, measured quantitatively. But we did hear uh, a lot of feedback from people. We had people who participated in the ritual remark that it was the most powerful spiritual experience they had in the course of the conference. We had other people say, well, isn't it interesting that it was just within days that uh, President Bush and Tony Blair uh, volunteered for the first time in the history of the whole Middle Eastern conflict that maybe they'd made a mistake. And also that was within a couple of days that uh, that was a time when uh, the United States was threatening to attack Iran and even with nuclear weaponry. And uh, Secretary of State Rice came forward and said and offered uh, to have talks with Iran for the first time. So those things happened within days of that ritual. I'm always careful not to claim, of course, <laughs> you know, that we created that, but I'm sure it didn't hurt. Right, and, and the thing that I think people always need to take in mind when we're talking about shamanism, but particularly the ritual work of shamanism, is we're talking about moving energies in the field. Mm-hmm. And so there aren't going to be, it's not like measuring your cholesterol in your blood. <laughs> you know? right. Like not ever going to be, probably not ever going to be a fixed number, but it's just looking at the the movement, the co-creation of our reality and how when we act powerfully in ritual, um, we we're we're very focused in our intention then in moving powerfully in that co-creation and things can shift exactly we're really working with shifting as you say the energetic field and working on that field because that's where things start and then they're manifested here so if we can work on that layer that spiritual layer etheric whatever you'd like to call it and make shifts there you know whether it's you know, some of the work that you do with healing the ancestral lines that you talked about last week, that is what can shift things here. And I think that this is the piece, and for me it's part of the value of a show like this or anything, is recognizing that shamanism throughout the ages have given us the skills to do this. We can't just want it and, and hope right. that we actually need to do it on purpose with a skill set. And so that's what we're talking about today is how beautifully Lenore has been doing this with a skill set. Um, so we're going to take a break here, and when we come back, um, get your pens and papers ready, because when we come back, we're going to offer Lenore's um, how to contact her and her website and things like that when we return from the break. Thank you all for listening, and again, I thank Lenore for being with us today. Welcome back, everyone. The nice uh, break lady just reminded me that, yes, we are live today. You're welcome to call in. The number is 866 866- Four seven two five seven nine five, or you can email us at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org. So before we get too carried away, because we have a inter- really interesting next piece, I'd like Lenore to take a minute and just give you the information for how you can contact her and the things that she's doing. Thanks, Christina. My website is the best place to get all the information, and the website address is Circle Living Earth. Dot org. That's all one word, circlelivingearth.org. On the website, you'll see a number of links. There's a link for articles if you'd like to download or read articles online about shamanic social healing work. There's also a link for social healing that will 
show you in depth some examples of different social healing initiatives that I've led. Um, what else? Oh, there's also a workshop I have coming up in early April for people who are very interested in the social healing work on peacemaking, healing, and community. And there is still several openings in that workshop if people are interested in studying. Beautiful. We'll go back to that information at the end of the show, so keep your pencils out in case you didn't get it this time. But what I'd like to move on to now with Lenore is, Lenore, just give us the, uh, the sort of the, it seems like sort of a sequential list of the ways in which people really can um, apply shamanism to social healing, from the simple to the profound, which is the ritual stuff we've been talking about. Sure. Yeah, the first level would be if people already know how to journey or if they're getting ready to learn that, is to use shamanic journeying in order to get direct guidance on their social healing work. So if you're involved with any kind of political or social transformation work and learn how to journey, you can ask your spirit allies for direction, understanding, guidance, and inspiration about your work in the secular world. So that's the most uh, beginning way. Another way to work is working within ourselves and our personal ancestral lineages to heal the past, which, again, is a lot of work you do, Christina, and that I also do. And I think this is a really critical piece because I think so many of our social imbalances that are resulting in so much suffering do have their roots in the past. You and I have talked about this a lot. But certainly with the United States, you know, we're a nation that was really born in trauma, for so many beings that were involved, and it's going to be, require the healing of that past trauma to shift our trajectory as a people. So that's another piece. Another one is working in small private shamanic circles to do work on an energetic level. Since we can, through shamanic practice, through shamanic journeying and ritual work, access the energetic level that precedes the material level, we can go to that level and do work to create harmony, to heal the past, to heal imbalances in the present so that we can create a healed world. And even on a, a level that may not necessarily be shamanic, I saw a lot of things going around the Internet during the last presidential campaign, people who were very concerned about the safety of candidate Barack Obama, who has since become our president. And I know that there was a lot of important spiritual work that was done to keep him safe. Even in Peru. <laughs> That's right, all over the world. <laughs> all over the world. All over the world. Yeah. And then the other level that we've already started discussing and we'll talk about more today is bringing ritual into the public domain, bringing spiritual awareness and power into secular activism. That's one of the things that I'm very excited about. Lenore, we have a really beautiful question that's come in from Joe, who is in Baltimore. And his question is, um, it seems that the nation is caught in the very limiting and disempowering and very expensive triangle of archetypal forces, the victim versus the persecutor versus the rescuer. How can we step out of that? What might a ritual look like to facilitate a move to another higher way to be? And what I might add is just how could we step out of that on each of these levels that you've talked about? Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> Um, you could pick your favorite level. <laughs> say what? Or you could pick your favorite pick level. Pick my level. <laughs> well, I think that all, actually it's true, all these different layers that I've mentioned can be utilized in that regard because through shamanic practice it really does allow us to step out of our very limited viewpoint as individuals 
and to step into a more global viewpoint and to really not just know on an intellectual level, but to feel it on an experiential, energetic, spiritual, physical level that we really are all connected and that what any of us does affects everybody else. And so I think that through, through that, we do collapse that, those dichotomies or that triangle that Joe's referenced, that once we understand that we're all together in this, as I said earlier, um, then we can shift our paradigm into one of how do we create harmony among us instead of how can we win. And it also seems that to the extent that these roles are coming at us through our ancestral lines, that's also a place to begin to... Right to address um, feeling caught. I mean, I, 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 I often think that that sense of feeling caught in a stream I can't get out of is a sign that there might be something, might be something ancestral going on as well. Right. Yeah. right. Um, I also wonder, have you had any, any experience when pe- with people who are basically activists, but they are beginning to bring, let's say, journeying in, to bring some um, direct guidance into what they're doing. Um, does it help them break out of their own sense of being caught up in roles like this? Oh, absolutely. One of the, one of the uh, I offer these shamanism for activist trainings, and a story I'll share about that is I, I held one during a weekend when there was a G8 summit on you know, one of these big globalization summits. And this was um, after the big demonstrations in Seattle in 1999 with the WTO. So it was kind of that era of anti-globalization activism. And in the course of the workshop, kind of the climax of it, I was teaching these activists how to journey and introducing them to some different indigenous peacemaking practices. And at the end of the workshop, I like to do a collective journey where we choose a collective intention to ask the spirits, about and then compare notes. And so given what was going on the weekend with the G8 summit and given the population I was working with, people immediately went to, well, well, let's ask how we can stop globalization. And it was very interesting because I told them, I said, you know, my heart is really with you. I feel the same way. And let's consider what we've been studying this weekend, which is that we can't possibly know the whole picture that our perspective is limited as human beings, and that asking that question makes the assumption that globalization needs to be stopped. And while I personally, my personality of Lenore agrees with that, um, my bigger shamanic perspective knows that I don't know enough to know that that's what really needs to happen. And so it was really beautiful because these people who a couple days before probably wouldn't have been able to hear that we're able to expand, and we were able to shift the question to something much more powerful, which was, what is our right relationship to globalization? So it was no longer about, we have to control this and we have to stop this, and if we don't, there'll be Armageddon. It was, what's our right relationship to this phenomenon? And so each individual journeyed about that question, and it was very, very deep and very profound for people. People shared. People got a whole array of answers and uh, went away from the workshop with a whole different sense of their relationship to what's happening, their role in what's happening, and how to relate with it. That seems to me to be, 
both the simplest um, effect of shamanism brought into this this type of human activity, and yet the most profound is that realization that while our heart is in something, we don't. And sometimes the more our heart is in it, the less we can see clearly because we get caught up in things <laughs> and we lose perspective. And the, the power of our relationship with spirit, especially if we've cultivated a strong working relationship, to have our attitude adjusted <laughs> by by seeing things from a different perspective and, and then also listening to other people's um, how spirit has shifted their perspective as well. It's very important because we... Part of it is understanding as you help them to see that when we journey, we get the question answered that we ask. And so the really important work is asking the right question mm-hmm. and understanding who we are as humans and where we're blind and learning how to ask questions in such a way that spirit truly can illuminate us, not just stay in the rut we're already in. Right. I think there's a tremendous amount and very healing kind of surrendering of the egoic attachment, egoic you know, the small egoic identity and opening into the huge mystery that we're a part of. And I often talk about learning to dance with the mystery rather than being attached to understanding it all because we can't understand it all. It's too big. And on those beautiful words, we are going to our next break. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back to talk more about the alchemy of social information. Welcome back, everyone. Um, I, we're... Lenore and I are sitting here chatting away about ritual because it's sort of normal in our lives. And I was realizing maybe it would be time to let Lenore just talk a little bit about a ritual so that you can understand more from a story perspective about what what kinds of things we're really talking about when you actually do bring ritual into the public domain. Thanks, Christina. And I would like to direct people again to an article that's on my website that's called Ritual and Activism. The Alchemy of Social Transformation, because it goes into quite a bit of detail on this. And again, you can find that at circlelivingearth.org. So I published this article maybe two years ago, year and a half ago, and it it goes through the process of creating the ritual uh, across from the White House and my thinking about that. And for me as an activist who's organized and participated in many, many demonstrations and protests for decades, I've become increasingly aware over the last 10 years, especially during the current war, of what feels to me like a real waning of the power of that form. Um, what, what, happens, what has happened for me is that I've gone to some different marches and protests in a few different cities, and it starts to feel kind of empty. And I know a lot of people who are very sympathetic uh, to the cause of those demonstrations who no longer go, who used to go, for the same reason. They may come away feeling disempowered. They may come away feeling like they've exacerbated conflict by getting involved in an us-versus-them kind of a protest. And I really believe people are ready and looking for something else. And that's part of what I'm trying to help bring about through my work. And that is bringing ritual into the public sphere, where in the public sphere we transform protests and demonstrations into mass rituals for social healing. That is- you know, there's a beautiful sentence about this, I thought, in your article, which is the question of how can people effectively engage and mobilize their innate power and and, and how that shifts people into how can I do what I want to accomplish in the world 
from a place of empowerment versus a place of fighting. Right. Yeah, because what I was experiencing often in the in the protests and demonstrations was either um, kind of shaking our fists at the powers that be, either demanding or begging, but certainly ending up very alienated. So I'd like to share a story about creating these public rituals. I've done quite a few of them in interfaith and different spiritual contexts. But last summer I was really excited because I was actually invited to create a ritual for a secular context. It was a huge first because this has been my vision. And so I was asked to create a peacemaking ritual for a rally that was being held on the anniversary of 9-11. And the theme of the rally was take back 9-11 for nonviolence. Because actually 9-11 is the anniversary of the beginning of Gandhi's movement for nonviolent social resistance. Hmm. And that's been eclipsed by what happened at the World Trade Center. So that was the theme of the rally. And it was very interesting to me that this was a secular event. It was the opening rally for the Peace and Justice Studies Association's uh, annual conference here in Portland. And so this was going to be a public demonstration in downtown Portland, and they actually wanted a peacemaking ritual. Hallelujah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so uh, it was interesting because the person who invited me uh, thought that this would come at the end of the rally and that a lot of people would leave before the ritual even began, but this would be something for the spiritual folks. And I immediately said, oh, my goodness, let's not frame it that way. <laughs> you know, let's frame it that this is, will be something that everyone will stay for and that will unite people. And so I immediately set about journeying and asking my spirits, what would be appropriate for this secular crowd? What could we do that people wouldn't leave but would want to stay? And so when I journeyed, what my spirit showed me was a coronation of the collective heart. They said this is what's needed at this time on the planet is for the collective heart, the collective of all hearts on the planet, hearts of all the humans, all the animals, all the beings of the earth itself, for this collective heart to be placed in the position of sovereign, of ruler over the whole planet. And that what we needed was a ritual that would coronate or enthrone this collective heart. And furthermore, the Spirit said, um, this is a ceremonial form that secular people can relate to because they know about the coronation of kings and queens and royalty. Interesting. And so I was shown this huge crowd creating this huge garland of flowers. And I thought, yeah, right, that's a nice idea. I wonder what that analogy is for. Well, it is right here. <laughs> and because as we know, when we journey, often things are shown through metaphor. Right. But, okay, well, this is a metaphor. Hmm, I wonder how we'll realize this. But it kept persisting and persisting and persisting to the point where I started researching flowers. And as I was researching uh, this, and I, and I was also looking for forms, like, well, what's a coronation look like? And as I researched the word coronation... I found that the word coronation comes from the word corona, which I always thought had to do with the sun, mm -hmm. the of rays around the sun. Well, come to find out corona actually means garland. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, actually, the original uh, coronations were done with garlands of flowers way, 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 way back. Um, people were coronated with a wreath of flowers on their head rather than a crown of gold. Mm -hmm. 
so then it became even more persistent for me, this thing about the flowers. And so I was very fortunate eventually that uh, someone that I'd worked with shamanically was a florist, and she was able to advise me. She actually got like 500 flowers donated for us. Um, and then there was another a shamanic couple who works with greenery and who made a, a garland of greenery as a base for these flowers. Now let's remind people how long this garland was. <laughs> it was 100 feet. <laughs> 100 feet with 600 flowers. Wow. And so... Uh, so I presented this. I said this to the organizer. This is what I want to do. And he was—he just gave me carte blanche. He said, whatever you want to do is fine, which was really lovely that he entrusted me that much. And so we had musicians who um, did appropriate music to the ceremony. Started with some quotes from Gandhi. Then I did research about Gandhi because I, that, since the theme of the rally had to do with retaking the day for nonviolence in the Gandhian tradition. I found some really, really wonderful quotes from Gandhi about the place of the heart. Mm, beautiful the work. And so with the backdrop of these quotes and the music and people beating their hearts in time with the beat of the drum, um, people interlaced all these flowers into this garland. And there were tears. There was so much power and love there. And we were literally weaving our love into the world collective of hearts mm. through creating this garland of 100 feet. And the climax was the whole crowd collectively carrying the garland over to the building and suspending it from the building where the conference was taking place that weekend. So people are moving in and out past it throughout the conference. Right, exactly. Beautiful. In and out the door with this hung with the garland above it. And there's actually a, a video of this ceremony on my website. So if people want to see what that looked like, again, if they go to circlelivingearth.org, on the lower left side of the computer screen, you'll see a little video screen, and you can actually see and hear the whole ceremony there if you'd like to see an example of what we're talking about today. And so the was the culmination of the ceremony... Um, uh, Putting the garland on the building? Right. So that was the actual crowning mm -hmm. of the collective heart was through suspending this garland from the building, this 100-foot in diameter garland. And people were so moved. You can see in the video, people were just transformed by that. And you can see, if you look closely at the beginning, you can see some of the people are kind of a little skeptical, like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so by the end... You know, they're very deeply moved, and some even are wiping away tears from their eyes. Mm -hmm. And there was just such, and I heard stories, I'm still hearing stories from people about how that ritual affected their lives, not just at the moment of what they felt that day, and not just people saying, what a wonderful way to begin our conference. What a wonderful mm -hmm. time has been set for what is often a fairly academic conference. But also, uh, one person told me about how she had had uh, a very difficult relationship with her boss mm -hmm. and how it was transformed through her participation in this ritual. Wow. Energy was shifted, and she was able to approach him in a whole different way that was heart-centered and empowered, and their whole relationship shifted. Beautiful. So um, 
again, you know, I've heard a lot of stories and a lot of stories from people about the power of that garland, about um, how it was imbued with power mm-hmm. and how people felt around it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, at the end of it all, we took it and we put it in a sacred place to decompose back to the earth. Beautiful. Well, we'll be back again um, with Lenore, and we're going to um, come to some of your questions when we return and talk about um, what Lenore's vision is of what we could really be doing with the, with shamanism and um, bringing that into the public domain. Thank you all for listening, and um, feel free to call in at 866-472-5795 or email us at christina at lastmasscenter.org. Thank you all. Back we are going to start this segment with a question from Phil, um, who is um, back east, and he's asking, what ways does Lenore Fine work best for reaching out to people who may not know a great deal about shamanism to encourage them to try it or get involved? And it seems to me that's kind of like what you were saying. It's like at the beginning of your ritual, people were standing around going, what? And then the next thing you know, they're weeping and weaving flowers and having a powerful experience. So are there some, so Phil's asking, are there some sort of basic concepts or notions uh-huh. that you focus on when you're wanting to bring people that know very little about shamanism in? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that uh, the most important thing is living a vibrant, empowered life yourself because that always is attractive to people and people are always curious how you do that. So I think that's the foremost thing is just doing your own practice and achieving that for your for yourself, and that's attractive to people and mm-hmm. naturally want to know. I'm really, really very careful about. Um, I'm very, very sensitive to proselytizing. I hate it. I don't like people proselytizing me either politically or spiritually. I'm interested in having a conversation with people. But I really believe there's different strokes for different folks, and I really don't believe shamanism is for everybody. Mm-hmm. I think that different people have different ways and that all of us achieving um, comfort with our own ways and mutual respect with one another is really important to the whole overall healing. And, um, again, shamanism is not a religion, and it doesn't require people to adopt or set aside any particular spe- uh, set of religious beliefs. At least that's how I practice and how I teach. So um, I'm very embracing of working with people who identify as Christian or Muslim or Jewish or atheist or Wiccan or whatever they identify. Since I'm not teaching or propagating a particular set of beliefs, I feel it can be very inclusive. And so the more I affirm people in wherever they're coming from, then the more comfortable they may be with exploring what I have to offer. I know that for myself, as it was two twofold, which is, as you've said earlier, the more comfortable I became myself in my own practice, the more I radiated that comfort and others could be comfortable with me. But I also realize that in my language, when I talk about it, I try to be very conscious about sharing things as a shamanic perspective mm-hmm. and that I'm sharing it simply for understanding and nobody needs to agree, which is kind of what you're saying. But I find that that language is helpful for people. Right. Oh. Now, don't, it seems to me that as we prepared for this show that there's a, there's a list um, of ways in which people can engage. Right. Yeah, some of the ways people can engage shamanic practice for social healing are, first of all, using your own practice of direct revelation to get guidance about your own work with social healing, whatever your engagement may be. 
you can always journey and ask your spirits for perspective and guidance about whatever you're engaged in. Another way is whatever our spiritual practice is, whether it's shamanism or something else, many, many people have an experience of spiritual unity that they achieve through their practice. And I think it's really critical that we set about applying that to the collective and taking that into our everyday lives. It can be uh, a challenge. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's easier to feel that experience of cosmic unity by ourselves and with our spirit helpers. But what's really important is that we can take that into our daily life so that as we have those irritations that come up, whether with a roommate or a spouse, a friend, a neighbor, you know, in our community organizations or political organizations, that we're able to apply the principle of spiritual unity in that. It's only by doing it in that immediate level that we can also do it globally and internationally and with our government. Another thing is learning ritual practices for restoring uh, harmony, you know, whether that's harmony within ourselves or within relationships, within communities and on the planet. And again, I'd like to just mention my April 3 to 5 workshop, Peacemaking, Healing, and Community. This workshop is detailed on my website at circlelivingearth.org under the calendar of offerings, and it is open. Uh, I would like people to have had at least a couple journey experiences coming into this workshop because we will be utilizing that practice in the workshop to go deeply into some indigenous practices. So this is an opportunity for people, just in a nutshell, to experience um, a, a, a variety of practices for peacemaking and Exactly. We'll be working both, like I said, with internal harmony, with our internal conflicts, also interpersonally, and then in group conflicts, things that we can do to bring peace on a sh- with, through shamanic practices, through okay. indigenous practices. So was there, we got to number three, I think, on your list. Yeah, I have one more. Okay, good. <laughs> and also that is to heal the festering wounds of our ancestors so we don't keep playing them out now. You know, we have these very ancient wounds they aren't so ancient in our country. Our country's only, it goes back about 500 years in terms of the colonization. But when we think about all the things that happened from, uh, you know, destruction and decimation of the indigenous people, you know, destruction of the land, how people came over from Europe. Many people did not come of their free will but were coerced, not to mention the people who came from Africa who were absolutely forced. There's so many things that happened that need to be healed in the past so we don't keep playing them out now. I really do believe that the wars that we play out, the devastation of the environment that we play out, many of these things can be traced back to these earlier times. And if we can work on that ethereal level to heal those wounds of the past, we can really shift our trajectory as a nation. Beautiful. Thank you, Lenore. Um, I'd like to close with... um well, first, reminding people that you can get to all of this information in, in Lenore's website at circlelivingearth.org. And I want to share this piece, uh, quote from Lenore's article. Our times call for the transformation of rallies, protests, and marches into massive, intentional, sacred healing rituals in which we ally ourselves with all humans, the compassionate spirits, the ancestors, and the spirit of the earth and stars. Lenore, thank you for this beautiful vision and for your time with us this afternoon. Thank you, Christina. Thanks for hosting the show. So next week, everybody, we have a show about healing the soul wounds in veterans and their families and our communities. And our guest will be Ed Tick. And I hope that you will join us. And if you know a veteran or people who are 
trying to find a way to weave their lives back together after many years of this contemporary war, please encourage people to listen or at least to come back the next day and to download the show and listen. This is an important um, collective healing experience as well. Um, and Ed has some really, really beautiful things to say about it. He's been working with that since the Vietnam War, and he has um, some really powerful shamanic stories to tell us about what it really takes to engage in the warrior's wounds and how to bring peace to that and harmony. So um, I hope you all will join us next week. I'd like to give thanks to the spirits we've called in, to our ancestors on whose shoulders we stand, to the energy of the earth below and the sky above, and to the heart energy that unites us all. Remember that you can subscribe for the weekly email about the show at christina at lastmentcenter.org. You're welcome to find information about the encyclopedia at the website, lastmasscenter.org. And for more information about classes and healing and information about the show, check out the website, lastmasscenter.org. Thank you all for being with us.